It's great to see you this morning as we have a chance to actually think together about what it means to be the church. And today we're actually in the subject of sort of looking at evangelism. And, um, you know, sometimes evangelism is sort of a big scary word for us, um, but we're going to learn today as we follow um, God's actually reaching out to Cornelius, who's a centurion, and then also to Peter, that God's actually behind the scenes on everything that we're doing. And so, actually, I'm going to show you a little bit of a video right now, so uh, watch this video. It's sort of an awkward invite kind of thing. I'll be inside in a minute. I want to say hey to Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mike. Flower beds are looking good, neighbor. Yep. You guys should get back from church. Ah, yeah, yeah, just been at the church house. I wonder why he never invites me to church. I mean, I'd go if he asked me to go. But this is the way it is. I'm out in my front yard when he comes home from church. It's always so awkward. It's so awkward. And I'm so hungry. Ugh. I think my wife made goulash. I love goulash. Oh, maybe Joe would like some goulash for lunch. Hey, Joe. Here comes the invitation to church. Yeah? You want to come over for sure, a Sure, I'd goulash? love to go to church with you. What'd you just say? What'd you just say? No, what? No, what'd you say? What'd no, you what say? you say? You said something about God. God, God. Goo. 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 Goulash. Goulash? Goulash. It's a... You're having goulash at your church? No. No, at my house. You're having... You're inviting me over for goulash? Yeah. At your... Goulash? Yeah, who doesn't like goulash? I like some goulash. Yeah, sign me up. Goulash! I'll check and make sure we have enough. I see you walking away. The skit guys are so great. So, you know, I think we all feel sort of awkward, right, when it comes to actually trying to share our faith or trying to reach out to people and, and let them know that they matter to God. And, um, you know, the thing I really got out of this is I don't really know what goulash is. Do you? Like, how many people are aware of goulash? You've, you've had goulash before? Okay, so I'm just in the dark about it. But anyway, so, but, but the other thing is that, you know, it's interesting because actually Joe's open to going to church. Now, obviously, this is a skit. And, um, but what's interesting is most people would say they would be open to going to church if somebody simply invited them. If they just simply said, hey, would you come with me? And, you know, I think it's important because the reality is that we also need to sort of acknowledge that sometimes church is a little bit of a foreign culture for people. Like, if you've never been to church, that's a pretty big learning curve to come and try to figure out what all that means. And so it's really nice when somebody says, hey, why don't you come with me and I'll sort of show you the ropes and help you understand how everything works. I mean, I think that's a really important thing for us to think about. So what I want us to do today is think about this whole um, new church that's being born in the book of Acts. And today we're actually going to go to Acts chapter 10, where we see that um, God is starting to do some new things. God is actually calling people, changing people, sending people, but also breaking down some of the old divisions and bringing those who were previous, previous, previously excluded into this new body. 
it's always been God's intention from the very, very beginning um, in choosing and blessing one family, Abraham and Sarah, God chose and blessed them and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will walk with you and I will bless you so you can be a blessing for all people. And so from the very beginning, God's intention in setting up a people of God was so that we could bless each other, but also so we could be a blessing for all people. And so now we see that God's beginning to pour out God's spirit on all people, Jew, Gentile, young, old. God's breaking down walls, taking away the barriers, helping people to understand God's love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And this new church is expanding. Now, all of a sudden, the Gentiles, who had been excluded from all forms of Jewish worship, are now being invited in, and it's a whole new thing for them. And I can't help but feel like, gosh, this is where my story and God's story comes together because I'm not from a Jewish background. I don't have a Hebrew heritage. And so this story about Cornelius, this centurion, is actually our story for those of us that are not Jewish, that this is the point where God says, no, this church is gonna be radically different than the way things were in the past. So without God's intervention, uh, Peter and Cornelius never would have crossed paths. There's, there's actually a lot of things they don't have in common. I mean, one is that um, one's a Roman and the other one's a Jew. So there's that there to begin with. One's a military leader, a centurion, probably in charge of something like 80 different troops. The other is following a new Lord, one who's named Jesus. But there's also a couple things they do have in common. Um, first, they each receive a vision. For Cornelius, an angel comes. For Peter, the Holy Spirit sort of gets a hold of him and he sees this new way of being. And the second thing that's sort of funny is they're actually both hungry too. Cornelius is hungry for spiritual things. He wants to grow to understand who God is. Peter's just hungry for lunch. He just wants to eat and sort of get things done. And so, so God's actually mixing this whole thing up and creating a whole new people now that, that becomes the church as it moves out of Acts 10 and into the world. So we're going to actually go through some scenes today, um, sort of divided this up into different pieces. And we're going to look first at what happens to Cornelius, then we'll go and switch over to Peter, and then we'll come back again. Um, but follow along with me. So I'm going to pick up here in um, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Here we go. So in Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon, at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa to a certain, for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who had served him, and after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. So here we have it. This first scene has Cornelius. This angel shows up. Um, and Cornelius wasn't simply just a foreigner. He was actually also an outsider. 
Um, he was a foreign soldier. He had, he had sworn obedience to Rome. He was there to basically protect the interests of the emperor. But somehow, God was beginning to change things, and Cornelius, um, God used Cornelius to show the followers of Jesus what it really means to actually welcome and include all people. So here, this life of a soldier, you know, it wasn't very glamorous, but it was surely a secure kind of life. Um, usually, a, a centurion would have served for about 16 years, they would have received regular pay as well as bonuses, especially when their company did well at sort of defending Roman interests. Um, while they were serving in their, the Roman government, they lived in forts. They had access to medical care, food, clothing was provided for them. Even when they bought their weapons, they were reimbursed in their paychecks for those. And then on top of all that, when they actually retired, they were given um, often a bonus of a piece of land and settled in a colony of other veterans. So it was pretty prestigious to actually be a centurion and, and be in the place that Cornelius was in. Now to understand this, see Rome was actually occupied by about 120,000 soldiers in the Roman army. And these soldiers were broken down into about 25 legions with about a little bit less than 5,000 soldiers in each legion. And then it was divided even more into squads or cohorts of 480 soldiers. And then finally, it was divided into what was called six centuries. And the centuries all consisted of about 80 um, soldiers each. And this is exactly there where Cornelius comes in. The centuries were commanded by the, by the centurions. And centurions were highly um, regarded in their communities. They were respected as loyal, wealthy, powerful military men. But even with all that in mind, um, no matter how you size it up, these centurions and soldiers were all seen as traitors. They were Gentiles. Um, they were seen as traitors because they supported the cause of Rome rather than the cause of the church. And so at this point, this is a tension because the church is really made up of all these Jewish people who had been following Jesus. And yet Luke now is creating an opportunity for something new to happen. In fact, he says that the thing that was true about Cornelius was that he was a God-fearer. He was devout. He feared God. He gave generously. And, and this angel comes and says, Cornelius, your, your fear of God and your devotion and your alms have actually ascended as a memorial before God. And so then this soldier, Cornelius, starts to send out orders. He's to send for a certain man called Peter, and he will tell them more. So God arranges this whole meeting between these two people that never, ever would have talked, never, ever would have been together, and yet now we're going to find themselves together in this new church. And, and here's the thing I don't want you to miss in this. I mean, this is the important point so far. God is always at work behind the scenes of our lives, accomplishing more than we could ever think or believe. But God is always active and oftentimes, you know, we catch up and we see how God's been working. But this is what's happening with Cornelius. So today, if you're sort of struggling and thinking, where's God at? Actually, God's at work with you and in you and through you. So now we come to saying two, and, you know, we're going to now join up with Peter and sort of see what's going on with him. So he starts at verse 9. It says, 
About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. And this happened three times, and then the linen was simply taken up into heaven. So here we are now. It's noon at Simon Peter's house. He's hungry for lunch. He's up on the rooftop, and all of a sudden this vision comes of all these different animals, and he's commanded to take and to eat. And I want to focus for a moment on Peter because I think it's we're looking at him that we get the clearest picture of what God's actually up to. So the Jews had lots of different food laws, and the food laws made the Jews actually stand out in that society. It was visible mostly in the marketplace because the Jewish people would never eat pork, which actually was the least expensive of all the meats that were available. But there was also a kind of elitism that set in to the Jewish people. Um, they had forgotten that promise years and decades and decades before where God said, I've called you to be a people because I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. They started to believe that they had sort of the inside track on God and that they knew more than everybody else and God was closer to them than anybody else. But all that's going to be challenged and changed here in this story about Cornelius and Peter. In fact, it was common for the... Um, Jews to actually refer to the Gentiles as dogs because a dog will eat anything that's in the street. But the Jews had certain dietary conditions. It was common for the Jewish rabbis to pray this prayer. Thank you, Lord of the universe, that you did not create me a slave, a woman, or a Gentile. Isn't that interesting? So the reality is that there's a lot of prejudice and a lot of brokenness in the midst of what's going on with the rabbis at that time. And so this vision comes to Peter, and it's this vision comes down three times, and it's really beginning now to break down his embedded prejudice. It was a few years later that the Apostle Paul would actually write in Galatians, and he would say this. Listen closely to this verse. He says, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So this new movement is going to be known more by what it does than what it refuses to do. Um, it's going to be known by its willingness to love others, actually to love the outsider. It's going to be known by the way that it reaches out to all people and incorporates them in, and how God was at work actually helping this to happen by challenging Peter to go and to visit a Gentile and to eat with him. You know, there's times, often many times maybe, where we need to let God change our small idea about how it is that God works. 
that God challenges us to look and understand even more fully who God is and what God wants us to do. And sometimes we think we've got it all figured out, but then we realize we're actually a few steps behind God because God's already working, doing things, working behind the scenes of our lives. And Peter, he finds himself sort of puzzled at this point. But the interesting thing is that um, the answer to his puzzlement will be knocking on his door in just a couple of minutes. And so we come now to Acts chapter 10, verse 17. I'd call this scene three. It says, verse 17, now while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. So Cornelius has this angel. An angel simply is a messenger, but Peter sees a vision that's given by the Holy Spirit. Cornelius has not received the Holy Spirit yet, but Peter has. And there's a moment later, there's a knock on the door, and Peter begins to now understand what this vision is actually calling him to. There's these three Gentile um, messengers from Cornelius, and they're asking to go to Peter's house. You see, before this vision, Peter probably would not have gone. He probably would have stayed away. Because actually Jewish law prohibited a Jew from entering the house of a Gentile and eating them, eating with them. Because in that culture, whoever you ate with actually became your family. So this separation between Jew and Gentile was really huge. I think sometimes this passage is talked about as the, um, as the uh, conversion of Cornelius. But I actually think that Peter is the one who's going through the biggest change. He's trying to figure out now what does it mean to be this person that God has called him to be. And it's interesting, we're not gonna get into it today, but Peter struggles with this for a while. In fact, there's a point where the Apostle Paul later sort of pulls Peter aside and accuses him of showing partiality to the Jews and not really welcoming the Gentiles. And so this is a huge thing for Peter to get past but he's gonna get past it because he's open to the fact that God's doing a new thing. So today I wanted to actually do a little bit of an experiment with you. Um, so um, stick with me for a second. I tried to get people to stand on Saturday night. That didn't work. So um, what I'm thinking is uh, maybe if you're open, like if I call out something, if you could raise your hand. I, you know, here's the question. How did you become, how'd you come to believe in Jesus Christ? You know, and if you're not there yet, that's okay too. I think one of the things you can do is sort of watch how people respond today, but let's just try sort of an experiment. So 
you know, if you're willing, I'd ask you to raise your hand. Like, let me just, here's one way. Like, people, these are different ways people actually come to church, come to Christ, that kind of thing. Like, did you, any of you here actually come in just because you had a special need? Maybe you were struggling with something, you just needed somebody to talk to, and you ended up becoming a Christian because of that. Anybody here? Okay, so nobody so far. Um, how about this? Um, you came to Christ because either a pastor or a church staff member shared Christ with you, and so you became a Christian that way. Okay, so I see a couple there. Good, okay. Um, how about um, through some kind of visitation, like somebody came to your house, um, or maybe it was like through telemarketing or something like that. Anybody through telemarketing? So that one doesn't usually score very high. How about um, through a Sunday school group or a Sunday school class or maybe a small group? Anybody? Okay, good. Quite a few from that one. Okay, how about this? How about through an evangelistic crusade, like a Billy Graham crusade, something like that, you actually became a Christian? So it's interesting that oftentimes I think we think most people become Christians that way, but in reality, that's not really true all the time. And then finally, the last one is this. How many of you came to know Christ by a friend or a relative? So this is always the highest of what happens. And, and it just points out this reality that, that God actually calls us to be the people of God and actually helps us to reach out in God's love to people. We, we're going to talk about this more in a minute. I'm not ready for the slide yet, but we're going to think about this whole idea of oikos, which is actually a term that's used for, in the New Testament for um, household. And so oftentimes it's in our households where we become aware of who Christ is, but we also get the chance to watch as people's lives are changed. It's an observable kind of thing. So for me, what happened is that I actually... Um, was about 17 years old, and I hadn't been to church for 10 years. In fact, I'd, I started, I was a bad kid. I had started a program with my mom to convince her I should never have to go to church again, and, and it worked. So when I was 10, she said, you don't have to go to church anymore. You're really a pest. And I was like, yes, I've won, you know. And, but the reality was that um, when I got to be 17, there were things going on in my life. I'd been through a lot of trouble, lots of bad stuff. But when I was 17, I started realizing I really didn't have any close connections with anybody. And, and it started to sort of weigh on me. And, um, and I ended up in a class with a guy whose name was Grant Tavault. I'd known Grant since we were freshmen in high school, and we had buddied around together. Usually, we got in trouble together. In fact, I'd actually been to his church one time, but we didn't go to church. We went off and messed around in the park and did all kinds of stuff we shouldn't have done, but you know, the excuse was we were going to church. And, um, but Grant, all of a sudden now was different. Like, he wasn't into all the stuff we had been into. And I was sort of getting out of that stuff too. And, and I said to him, so Grant, I don't get it. Like, you seem really different than you did three years ago. What's going on with you? And he said, well, basically I've become a Christian and I've turned my life over to Jesus Christ and I'm now trying to follow what he wants me to do. And I remember thinking, wow, that's really weird. Like, why would anybody do that? And what does that mean? And we were in a ceramics class. So this, this ages me, right? So we don't have ceramics. I don't, do we still have ceramics classes? So we do so, okay. So we were in a ceramics class. And, um, you know, it was probably like the, uh, the early 70s or maybe the late 60s. And, you know, Grant was uh, making these little figurines, like people st sitting, you know, down with a stump behind their back. And, and they had a Bible. And, and I said to him, what's the book? that this guy's reading. And he said, he's reading the Bible. And I was like, why would anybody ever read the Bible? 
Like, that doesn't even make sense to me. Why would you read the Bible? And so what happened was, over the course of this six months I was in this class, Grant just began to slowly and faithfully explain to me who God was. Started to tell me about how much God actually loved me and cared about me. Um, started to demonstrate that by inviting me into his house for a Bible study. And, and all these different things happened. And after about that six months, I looked at him one day and I said, Grant, I don't know how to get it, but I really want what you have. I mean, I really, really, truly want it. And he said, well, all you have to do is just pray and God will give it to you. And so he led me through a prayer, um, put me in a group, uh, walked with me, helped me. I mean, it was really a powerful experience. And, and I know that you've experienced that kind of thing too. And that if you haven't, that's the kind of experience that's available to you as well. And so God was working. And, and I started going to church. I'd never been to church for a long time. I was a kid, you know, when I had gone before, and I found that church was new to me. I mean, I didn't have any offering to give in the offering plate, and I didn't know any of the songs, and everything was just sort of foreign. And I remember the first time I took communion, I, I took it and drank it and didn't realize everybody else was holding it, because I guess the whole congregation was going to hold it. And then, and so I put it back in the tray, and I, I watched in horror as it went down the aisle, thinking nobody else is doing what I just did, you know, and so there's all these different kinds of customs and things, right, that we don't understand, but Grant just sort of smiled and stuck with me and said, hey, it's okay, you know, we'll figure this out, and I'll, I'll coach you through it, and, and somehow in the midst of that, I liked it. I mean, I began to actually connect with God. I, I made new friends in that church, and I also found that my spiritual journey really became alive there. And so God was working in me to help me to understand. So it's important for us to learn this vision, um, this message of Peter's vision, to think specifically about how we reach out, how we invite people in, how God is calling us to come alongside other people as well. So let's continue now, scene four. And here's what happens next. Acts chapter 10, verse 23. The next day he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day they came to Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshiped him. But Peter made him get up saying, stand up, I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when, you sent, when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now my, may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come so now all of us are here 
in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. So there's the opening. God was at work speaking to Cornelius, speaking to Peter, helping to bring them together, this God-appointed appointment for them. And, and so Peter then begins to share Christ with them. And here's a synopsis of what he said. He said, you have heard about this Jesus, this one, he is the Lord of all, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day he resurrected. And all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, because he is Lord of all. And it goes on, and it says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word, and the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. So there's the story. God is at work moving and forming this new church, bringing people into it, um, baptizing them with the Holy Spirit, showing that there's no differentiation anymore between Jew and Gentile, but rather we're all God's people together. These passages that we're looking at are actually passages that are often called um, the oikos passages. It's about the extended um, household. I'm going to ask you to put that one slide up, Mary. And, um, and this Greek word for household or family is actually a word that reminds us that God has also put us in extended families where we can know and understand God's love. You see, Cornelius was expecting them, and because he was expecting them, what he did was he called together all of his relatives and his close friends so that that day when Peter walked in and preached, the whole family received God's love and grace. The whole family was baptized. Everything happened together with all of them. Sometimes people will ask me, they'll say, so where do the roots of infant baptism come from? Like, when I read the Bible, I can see that people were immersed, but where do the roots for infant baptism come from? Well, they come from these oikos passages because it's in the household that the faith is passed on and the, and the covenant is made. So it's interesting, you know, that 75 to 90% of people come to know Christ by the invitation of a close friend or relative. So here's a question. Who are your close friends and relatives? Who are the people that are part of your household? Um, who are the people that you're praying for because you want to see them come to understand God's love as well? Today in your bulletin, um, there's a little page on the... Um, sermon notes page that helps us to sort of identify our oikos or our, our household. It says on here, you know, who are the relatives that you're concerned about? Um, it also has a place like who are the people you work with? You know, a lot of times we spend most of our time at work and, um, and we're developing relationships all the time, but how are we impacting people with those relationships as well? Um, there's also another part, like who's in my neighborhood? God has put you in a neighborhood for a reason, so that you can actually share God's love with people that are around you as well. And then the last part is that 
Sometimes we just have special interests with people. Like maybe you like to go bowling together or maybe your kids are in soccer and you know you find yourselves at the same field. But seeing these as actually times when God is not calling us to just you know preach, but God is actually inviting us into relationship with people where we can show them that they matter to God. So what is it that makes up your household? You know, sometimes evangelism is sort of a crazy or a scary thing for people because we think that somehow we've got to convince them about God, but the reality is we really don't have to do that. It's not some kind of Ponzi scheme. You know, we're, we're building a pyramid and going to get people to do things they're not comfortable about, but actually it's God's job to convince. It's our job to be the messenger, to let people know that they matter to God. In fact, I like this one definition of evangelism. It says that evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And I think that's true because a lot of times we have to realize that, um, you know, we're broken. We're no better than anybody else. But we have found food that Christ gives. And we want people to know that that's available to them as well. So one thing to consider today is the fact that God has strategically placed you in a family. God has strategically placed you in a neighborhood. And maybe there's some ways that um, God can use you in the midst of that. So we're going to see one more video here. It's called Tic-Tac-Toe. Let's watch that. When we were kids, we all learned how to play tic-tac-toe, right? It's a simple game that anyone can master in a few tries. What happens when you make tic-tac-toe more complicated than it is? You fail. Why? Because tic-tac-toe is simple. Sharing our faith is the same way. Jesus invested in the disciples. He told them to go out and make more disciples. Early Christians did this by investing in the lives of the people around them. And that's sort of how this works. Both tic-tac-toe and sharing Jesus is simple. When we make it more complicated than that, we fail. So how does this work? Well, let's learn by doing. This is Steve. He's lived at his house at 4th and Elm for about seven years. He knows most of his neighbors' names, but only talks to a few of them. Steve wants to invest in his neighbors so that hopefully he can introduce them to Jesus. Steve would start out by drawing a simple tic-tac-toe board on a piece of paper. Then he draws his house in the middle. That's your free square. Next, Steve thinks of neighbors immediately around him and writes in the names where their houses are. If he doesn't know the name, that's okay. Just leave it blank. Steve's first goal is to fill in all the spaces around his house. So Steve needs to get out and meet his neighbors. How did he do it? Well, Steve owns a snowblower, and when it snowed, he went and cleared all the side rock, sidewalks around his house, then went to every front door, knocked, and introduced himself. Folks were so happy that he cleared their walk that they wanted to talk a lot. You may not have a nice snowblower, but you can always knock on a door and introduce yourself. Maybe hand out a card with your name and phone number so if people need help, they could call you. 
A plate of cookies is a great way to say hello. Maybe simply offer to go over and help someone with their yard. So Steve got all his spaces filled in. Steve's second step was to find out one thing he could be praying for for each house. Now, because he had made such a great initial impression, people were happy to share. The best part about this is that one week later, he had a reason to follow up. The third step is to find out where each neighbor is in relation to Jesus. Do they know Jesus? Have they been turned off to church? Are they lapsed Buddhists? Find out where each neighbor is spiritually. Then use that as a springboard for simple conversations. The more Steve prayed for his neighbors, the more he grew a heart for them. When Steve's neighbors saw that he genuinely cared about them, they began to share more and more. Before Steve knew it, he saw his neighbors like Jesus sees them, with compassion. Eventually, Steve was able to introduce some of his neighbors, Frank and Lisa, to Jesus. That's the ultimate goal of this tool, that you can simply and clearly learn about your neighbors, know them, and love them like Jesus. As simple as that. So today, um, maybe um, there's a neighbor or a friend or a relative that you're concerned about. Um, I would encourage you to actually take that bulletin and fill it out and maybe even submit it as a prayer request today. Because I think a lot of times um, what's happening is God is actually in the midst of everything, helping us to do the things that we cannot do ourselves. God's actually the one who draws people, brings them, encourages them, seeks them out. For me, it was Grant. For Cornelius, it was Peter. So who was it for you? Uh, we all need someone who's not afraid to show us the way, um, teach us the customs, explain the language and the meaning. And, you know, God has a next step for all of us. Who is God sending your way? It was later in the book of, um, actually, First Peter, named after him, where Peter would say this. He said, to the Gentile churches, by the way, once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, chosen in order that we may proclaim the mighty acts of the one who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Today, God is still calling people. God is still reaching out. And the way that God does that is through the church, as we have an opportunity to be God's voice, hands, and feet in the world. God's still tearing down walls, demonstrating the reality of God's love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And so, have you ever thought about inviting someone to church? You know, maybe the worst thing that could happen is they might say no. But what if they actually said yes? You might be surprised. You might be surprised. Maybe they've simply been hoping that someone would invite them. So let's pray together, and as we pray, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back out. And today, as you're um, thinking about this list that you've made, um, take a moment just to pray silently for anybody's name who you put on that list, and then I'll pray out loud. Let's join in prayer.
So you got, God, you know um, the people that are near to our hearts and the people that we're concerned about. You, you know us and you know, uh, we know that you care about all people deeply. God, you love them even more than we do and you long for them to know they are loved. And so, God, we pray that you would open them up to your love, um, that you would help us in our witness and conversation with them to point to the reality of who you are, knowing that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, God, today we give you thanks uh, for those who have shared their faith with us, those who walked with us so that we could know you. And we pray, God, that you would open the door so that we would know where we can also return and share that love with others as well. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. stand with us as we sing. I'm
teaching a Bible study, and, um, and then all of a sudden realized, gosh, I love teaching people, and that started a whole career of pastoral ministry, and so, you know, God changes all of our lives by touching us and bringing us into new places, and so who is it that God's calling you to reach out to? How do you do that? And I love the fact we close with Christ in me, because it's really Christ in us that gives us the passion, right? Christ in us that gives us the desire to actually share this good news story of all God's done with all people. So just a couple of announcements before we go. Um, we actually have some needs for Family Promise. We're hosting 13 homeless families. Um, their um, kids are ages from 18 all the way down to 11 weeks. So could really use some help with that. If you're interested, we're looking for about 50 volunteers. You can sign up at the information center right outside or perhaps on the back of your bulletin. Just note that you're willing and interested in helping with Family Promise. And then also, we'd love to see you back this week at Cal um, for dinner. Dinner starts at 5.30. There's classes at 6.15. And then also, um, just glad you're here. Glad you're here. Um, continue to pray. Continue to walk together. We're grateful for all that God's doing and grateful for your presence here. And so today, may God's peace just surround you and, and flood through your heart. And um, we'll see you next week. God bless. Thanks.